This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's my pleasure to welcome you to episode 475, oh my god, of the, did it. of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, folks, my name's Matt Bond. That means we can stop now, right? No, there is no stopping. Uh, we keep forcing out episodes, even if they're good or not, just like the okay. comics industry. Okay, great. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. Each week we discuss Wednesday's new comics, comic book movies, TV news, and plunge the toilet that is the internet to free up all the juicy rumors. Gross. As usual, we're going to have some reviews of this week's comics. Then we're going to talk about our picks for next week. And then our good buddy Anthony hits us with a question for our Ask a Nerd segment. And it's a heady one. Boy, just you wait. It's all happening in this special collector's edition 475th episode, but... Before all that, Ethan Van Skyver is going to tell us to go kill ourselves if we don't talk about this week's Nerd News. Oh, sorry. Nerd News. There you go. Newly exclusive DC Comics writer Brian Michael Bendis, BM Bendis to, a, to yeah. his friends, is taking over the reins of both Action Comics and Superman in July, according to a new interview with Forbes. It all kicks off with a six-issue weekly series titled Man of Steel Leading the Way. This is sounding very familiar. Yes. Bendis, who comes to DC after a 17-year exclusive stint at Marvel, is starting a multi-year, multi-faceted deal that begins with a short story inside Action Comics 1000 that we talked about last week. This Superman line takeover is very similar to the way that John Byrne was brought into DC after Crisis on Infinite Earths, where he reinvented Superman with a miniseries called Man of Steel. Yeah. And then he took over Superman and Action Comics. Yeah, it, and it just became that. <laughs> yeah. DC also just announced a DC Nation number zero preview sampler, which comes out three days before Free Comic Book Day, so Wednesday, May 2nd, I assume. Why? Why not just put it on I, free comic book day? I don't know. Uh, there, Bendis is going to team up with legendary artist Jose Luis Garcia Lopez on a Man of Steel prelude, which will lead in to the six-part Man of Steel weekly series that starts on May 30th. In Man of Steel, Bendis will collaborate with a rotating cast of artists, Ivan Rice, Doc Shaner, Ryan Sook, Kevin McGuire, Adam Hughes, and Jason Fabok. And according to Bendis, it will, quote, shake up the classic story of Krypton's final days and Kal-El's path to becoming an iconic hero. Bendis will introduce a new villain that holds a terrifying secret about Krypton's destruction. Oh, boy. Yeah, boy. You just love it when they toy with this stuff. I, yes, I do. After Man of Steel 6, which is planned to come out on July 4th, Bendis and Rice will take over a relaunched and renumbered Superman number one. Gotta renumber it, really? Yeah. Then, later that month, Bendis uh, will team up with 
current Superman artist, Patrick Gleason, starting with Action Comics 1001. That book's going to take a three-month hiatus after issue 1000, but they planned it. Bendis and Gleason's story will focus more on Clark Kent and his activities at the Daily Planet, which I think is nice. Yeah. And it's going to be more about how the actions of Superman impact the DC universe. Okay, there's some quotes and stuff. Let's just unpack this. Yeah, we're not going to read this. Let's unpack this. So we all knew Bendis was coming. We all knew he was going to get something pretty big. Is Superman the right fit? Let me tell you, this news hit after I had already finished writing the news where Bendis took to his Tumblr and heavily teased that he was taking over Batman. Yeah, totally. So I'm a little salty about having to redo all my work. (laughs) He was posting pictures of Batman like for a week, (laughs) like different bat pictures and stuff. Yeah, he's like, I just finished a big interview about my work at DC. Stay tuned. And it had a gif of Michael Keaton. Yeah. Responding to the bat signal. Yeah. It's like, what a jerk. Um, I kind of love that aspect of it. Yeah. The, the, thing I mean, that kinda, you know the thing that's really shocking, though, is DC's been doing so well with both Superman titles. And Dan Jurgens had stuff planned post 1000. Like, they had already teased other things a while ago that was going to happen you know, with the aftermath of this Mr. Oz story and stuff like that. And now it's obviously not happening anymore. I'm going to say this has not been planned for a whole long because there's an Amazon listing for Action Comics Volume 6, and it reads, Following the world-shattering events of the Oz effect, the Man of Steel must come to terms with a new status quo in Superman Action Comics Volume 6. Superman has never faced a challenge like this. How will it change the relationship with Metropolis? And more importantly, with his wife, Lois Lane, and his super son, Jonathan. Classic Superman scribe Dan Jurgens continues his epic return in the Man of Steel, Superman Action Comics Volume 6 collecting issues 1001 through 1006. Yeah. I mean, that explains the, they they slam the brakes on Dan Jurgens. Yeah. And Tomasi. And that explains the three month gap. Right. Um, but there's no mention of a three month gap for Superman. So those guys must be able to, Oh, well they're relaunching the book anyway. So it doesn't matter. Right. Um, That's just it. So I, I don't, I mean, I think they kind of told Dan thanks, but, uh, get out of the way. Here comes Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah, I mean, I hope they find a place for these guys, especially Tomasi. I think he does really good work. Well, especially the work that Dan Jurgens has done, though. Everybody thought, like me included, I thought this is a washed up, like, 90s guy that I barely cared about back then. And his action comics has been fantastic. It's been really good. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. And it's probably saved Superman, honestly. I've quite enjoyed it. And, you know, this is a crusty old fan talking. I really have appreciated how... They have slowly reset Superman back to a more recognizable form. Right. I, I hope Jurgens and Tomasi find a, another spot at DC. Oh, they will. Um, I'm sure. It's just, I don't know. I feel bad for Dan Jurgens, But I also know he's an older guy. He understands how this business works. Bendis is a celebrity. Yeah, yeah. And if Bendis says, I want to write Superman, they say, by all means, write Superman. Just yeah. don't screw it up, Brian. That's all, right. all I'm saying. You right. have a lot of people looking at you. you yeah, know? I think that's what we're all saying. Yeah. Uh, so aside from the Superman stuff, though, DC has also announced, well, Bendis, Bendis announced in the interview, that DC is officially launching a Jinx World imprint. He's getting his own imprint. Just for his creator-owned books, not like it's not like part of Vertigo or or 
you know, young animal. It's not part of an existing imprint. He's getting his own space for all of his creator own stuff, reprints of all those books. So Jinx and Torso and, and, uh, powers and all the things that stopped in midstream, like, uh, what was that book? The United States of Murder or whatever it was called. Yeah, Scarlet. Scarlet, right. And not only is he getting one imprint, he's getting a second imprint. DC will launch a completely new line curated by Bendis, which means he'll write some of the titles and, and just kind of oversee others, much in the same way that Gerard Way has been doing with Young Animal. Sure. And this, this is going to be a mix Younger of Animal. Younger animal. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to feature at least a few established DC heroes and some brand new creations. Like DC is making a huge home for Bendis. Like yeah, they, they, they really rolled out the red carpet. They want him to be very comfortable. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of excited. I don't know. I, I think DC is making themselves a very comfortable place for creators again. And that's what we've been screaming about all along. And Bendis is a guy that everybody universally loves. You don't hear creators saying bad things about Bendis. Fans yell about some stuff. But everybody likes to work with the guy. He's a big name. You bring someone in like this, more people come with them, you know? I mean, I can't say that I, th that I know that he was responsible for the wave of creators that came after him at Marvel, but they were all very happy to work with him. We're talking like Rick Remender and Jason Aaron and, you know, uh, yeah what's his name and sex criminals i can't say his name chip zadarsky no not chip zadarsky he draws Matt it. fraction thank you Matt fraction <laughs> i mean chip zadarsky writes for marvel too <laughs> it's true but, but it's a good thing i think it's a really good thing and we'll see what happens i'm a little nervous about the superman thing but i, I this other imprint stuff by all means go nuts brian you he's fantastic at stuff like this so i'm not worried i about. just I just hope that DC is not just making themselves a comfortable place for one creator. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, don't just stop at Bendis. You guys, let's make it like 10 years ago, Marvel was a creative juggernaut with all these writers in their stable. Right. And like DC, I would love it if DC could get to a place like that. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Speaking of DC. We got a Justice League relaunch coming down the pike. Ugh. It's time. An entirely new family of Justice League titles is going to launch following the conclusions of the current Dark Knight's metal event in March. Starting with a weekly four-issue series entitled Justice League, No Justice. Oh, man. No Justice League. <laughs> Justice League, No Justice League will be written by Scott Snyder, Josh <laughs> Williamson, and James Tinian IV with art from Francis Manipal and will run weekly in May in No Justice League. Brainiac arrives on Earth with a warning for DC's heroes about an impending threat that can only be stopped if the Justice League joins forces with some of DC's worst villains. It's Villains Month. Again. <laughs> oh, we did it. Here we are. Joining the league, at least for the duration of No Justice League, our heroes Starfire, Robin, Zatanna, Dr. Fate, and the Martian Manhunter. Hooray! Yay. Which I tweeted directly at Scott Snyder a while ago. So I'm taking credit for this one. He Good said, job. who would you like to see on the Justice League? And I said, bring the goddamn Martian Manhunter back. Beast Boy and Raven's going to be there, too. Plus the less heroic Lex Luthor, Sinestro, Deathstork, Lobo, Etrigan, and you guessed it, Harley Quinn. Because yeah. what else do we do with her? And what appears to be 
Starro the Conqueror. and Yeah, giant starfish. Yeah, but we recently met a totally different Starro with like an, a bad attitude. <laughs> and I kind of like him. What are you talking about? Like in the pages of uh, Metal, number four, we met like a smaller Starro. And he was like, back off, man. <laughs> oh, gosh, I need to read that. It was really cool. <laughs> Like he's not as powerful and he's really upset about it (laughs) and very vocal. It's great. Here's your quote from Scott Snyder. We thought we knew the entire map of the DC cosmos. We thought we'd explored all there was to explore. But now we know that all this time the multiverse was nothing but a fishbowl. And now we've been dumped into the ocean, man. Unleashing terrifying new threats, bro. <laughs> and wondrous new possibilities, dude. He sounds, he sounds so stoned. After the conclusion of No Justice, Scott Snyder will take over writing duties on Justice League, while Tinian and Williamson will pen spinoff series with more planned spinoffs from other as-of-yet unnamed writers to follow. Jesus. Great plan. That is a plan, lot guys. of spinoffs with a lot of people. <laughs> now, we both really enjoyed Christopher Priest's run on Justice League, but it's also kind of placeholder, we have to admit. Yeah, I knew it wasn't going to be long. And they're doing, of course, this metal thing has been the biggest thing that they've been running at DC for a while now. And it has been a lot of fun. It's been totally bonkers. And while we call it a Batman book, let's not kid ourselves. It's a Justice League book. They're all there. Yeah, for sure. What do you think about Snyder taking over Justice League? I personally, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. I I think it's, uh, I think I want Justice League to be like the number one book I need to read when I get my stuff. You know what I'm saying? It should be DC's star book. This is like when. Like what the X-Men used to be. (laughs) Right. When Grant Morrison was, was writing JLA in the 90s. I couldn't wait for the next one to come out, and it immediately jumped to the top of my pile. Oh, yeah. It was just must-read stuff, and you had to read it right away because someone was going to ruin it for you otherwise. I have not cared about the Justice League in that way maybe since. You know what I mean? Like, there have been good runs, no, but— Mark, Mark Wade had some pretty badass yeah, yeah. runs on there afterwards and but, stuff. But, no, I, I get what you're saying. I think Brad Metzler's run, which was very short, was great. But, again, that's what, 12 Years ago, fifteen. It's years been ago? a long time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm ready. I'm ready for this kind of huge thing to shake up the Justice League, high profile. Yeah, and Snyder's you know, already demonstrated that he's really good with this completely nuts, no rules, let's go crazy type storytelling, and that's perfect for the Justice League. Yes, and I like and, that they're bringing in the younger guys too. I, honestly, now Robin is just a kid, so I don't think I don't think these <laughs> I don't think. M- I don't think many of these characters are going to be in the group past the miniseries. Yeah, and it leads me to believe that something directly has happened to Batman, and that's why Robin is there, because he demands to be in on it or something. Well, he's in the promo art. It's tailor-made for action figures, because they've got these crazy costumes that have been, like, enhanced by Brainiac. And so they've got, like, glowing lights all over them and weird... (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, like, it's very gimmicky and very, like... It's very 90s. That's fine. Know? I'm okay with that for a couple and, issues. I yeah, love yeah. that shit. When the heroes dress up and like show up in a totally different costume, I'm like, okay, as long as that's not permanent, I'm in. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And for the love of God, when this is over, if I don't get a bigger Justice League, my biggest pet peeve about the Justice League since uh, the New 52 started is that it's been the same six people. Yeah. 
for six years. It needs to be a rotating cast, and it needs to be a well-oiled machine, and it needs to be like, oh, no, we're having trouble with this guy. We don't know much about him, but you know who does? B-list character. You're right. Come on up yes. and help the Justice League or whatever, right. you know? I mean, and That's I need what was Martian, so great about it. I need Martian Manhunter to be there. Yeah. Like, I need him. bring like, back Green Arrow. They need Martian Manhunter as the soul of the team. He needs to basically be de facto leader almost, you know? Yeah. In the background, moving everybody along, helping them out, psychically connecting everyone. I think this is a good thing. Bo- I, booming their tubes, you know, stuff booming. like that. <laughs> Listen, you don't want the Martian Manhunter to boom your tube too many times. Yikes. So there's your nerd news for this week. And of course, we want to hear from you on these stories and everything we missed. Hit us up on the Ziggurat direct line at 402-819-4894. Share your thoughts with us on these stories and more for our cover-to-cover call-in show. You can call us live every Saturday morning from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time and watch the action live on our Facebook page. Well, kids, now that we're done yelling about subjects we barely understand, it's time for Joe and I to pretend we know something about reviewing comics. Joey, (laughs) what is your main review for this week? This week, I chose to review Astro City number 50. This is coming out from Vertigo, written by Kurt Busiek with art by Brent Anderson, covers by Alex Ross. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Michael Tenacek lost his wife years ago to a chronal cataclysm, but he's not the only one in Astro City whose life has been upended by life among the superheroes. I had a chronal cataclysm in the restroom last night. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Today we'll meet the others, learn their stories, and see how Michael and friends cope with their trauma. To my eternal shame, I haven't been current on Astro City in years. It's not like it's the sort of title that punishes people for jumping around from arc to arc, but I was such a huge fan that I couldn't bear to just jump back in without catching up on what I missed, and I haven't done it yet. But I did have to come back for this issue. Not only is it a milestone issue, which I love, but it's kicking off a multi-part sequel to The Nearness of You, which is considered by many to be the best Astro City story ever. And it's one of my favorite comic books of all time. And I don't disagree. It is awesome. Years ago, Michael Tenacek lost his wife. More accurately, his wife never existed. Erased from the timeline by a cosmic event. But Michael remembers, and he has lived with that memory for two decades. These days, Michael devotes all of his time to running a support group for people who have lost loved ones to superhuman violence. He's funded by a mysterious benefactor who must approve of what he's doing. We don't know who it is, and neither does he, and he's okay with it. Michael still remembers his wife, but instead of being crippled by his loss, he helps others cope with theirs. Real quick, I just, I don't mean to interrupt you, but one of the most brilliant things about Astro City is not just the little homages they do to every comic book character you love, but this is a character whose wife was written out of continuity. Yeah. And he's suffering with that. She didn't disappear. <laughs> like it was, aliens didn't take her. There was a creative decision behind the scenes somewhere that made his wife disappear. That yeah, is I some think, meta shit. <laughs> that is if so I were good. If I recall correctly, there was um they the they were fighting a time travel villain or something, and uh during the course of events, his uh, her grandparents never met. Yes. <laughs> That's so cool. 
And so she just got blinked out. And this is the tragedy that follows that. Yeah. This is and the like, stuff don't... we don't think about. The denizens, you know, of I keep going back to Teen Tony. <laughs> like Teen right. Tony's friends. They're like, what happened, man? <laughs> and like, I don't want to spoil too much about the nearness of you, because no joke, it's one of the best comic books ever written. It's also 20 years old. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, it, it stands the test of time, and all I, right, I think right. people should go read it. Yeah, pick it up and read it. Like many of the best Astro City tales, this story is about the people that inhabit the world, not the heroes. Astro City's greatest strength has always been showing what life is like in a place where the extraordinary is ordinary. Busiek's, like we said, you know, like what other what other comic book deals with the aftermath of like somebody's grandparents getting blinked out of existence? Yeah, it's amazing. Busiek's script is full of humanity and emotion. The support group's stories ring just as true as if they were about normal human tragedy instead of stray laser blasts flying through apartment windows or whatever. This is a multi-part story, and this issue ends on a cliffhanger that has me really curious, but I would have been perfectly happy with a one-shot tale just showing us how Michael's life has unfolded in the 20 years since we last saw him. Brent Anderson is a legendary artist, but his style may not seem as eye-catching to modern readers. I am a huge fan of his heavy line and his expressive storytelling. He captures so much emotion in the faces of his characters. Yeah, he's also that guy that does what he does very well and stays in his wheelhouse. And right. That's an, important, and that's, that's an important place. They can't all be chameleons, you know? Right, and his work on Astro City looks just as good today as when I first saw it in the mid-90s. Oh, absolutely. You don't have to be up-to-date on Astro City to enjoy this issue. It's not even necessary that you read The Nearness of You. Busey and Anderson give you everything you need to follow along and get invested in Michael's story. But if you're a longtime fan like me and Matt, you're going to find a lot of extra meaning in Astro City 50. It's a huge buy it for me. It, it was so good. Yeah, same, same here. And uh, Astro City... Is one of those books that can have a story like this where there's really no action. It's just a bunch of people talking and yeah. getting over their feelings. And you meet all these different victims in this group that the main character sponsors that have been touched by heroes and villains that almost ruined their life. And they're just sort of talking about it. And it's gripping. And it's emotional. And it's wonderful. And it's meta. And you, it, God, if you love comics, you need... If you specifically love superhero comics, you need to be reading this book. Absolute buy it. it. I don't mean this as a criticism, but like I almost would have preferred that there was not that cliffhanger. Yeah, <laughs> I will say for and, me, the meat of the story is Michael and his and his right interactions. But it is also a monthly book. I didn't know what the cliffhanger was or what it meant. And at first I was like, what the hell? And I got pissed. And I was like, well, that's your fault, Matt. You haven't been reading. So settle down. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to spoil it. I have a theory. And I kind of hope that I'm right, but Just yeah. Just keep it to yourself, jerk. I will, for sure, yeah. That's next time on Astro City Theorycast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> My Astro City Speculation Podcast. Yes. All right, Matt. Tell me about these hangry ghosts. Oh, man, are they hangry. Hungry Ghost number one comes from Dark Horse. It's written by Tony Bourdain and Joel Rose with art by Alberto Ponticelli and Vanessa Del Rey. 28 pages, $3.99. I'm not going to read the whole solicit because it's long and I've read it several times. The story goes like this. 
They've set it up where some Russian oligarch is daring a circle of international chefs that have come to have dinner at his place that they don't really name to tell chefy ghost stories that come straight out of Japanese mythology. Okay? There you go. So Got it. Wait. Chefy ghost stories? Chefy ghost stories, if you will. Okay. <laughs> Culture co-option has become a sensitive issue as of late. And I admit, like some more conservative members of society, I don't always get it. Or maybe I didn't get it until I read this comic. I read and enjoyed Bourdain's first foray into comics, but this time he tries to enter two different worlds, the EC horror Silver Age and the world of Japanese mythology. Unfortunately, the opening takes way too long spelling out the ancient Japanese game that is about to be played again, featuring a demon that bared a striking resemblance to a young Ace Freely. From there, we're plunged <laughs> into two very short horror stories with uninspired Aesopian moral endings. The opening was too long and came off as a chance to print long Japanese words that I guess were supposed to sound scary, but really just come off as super clunky dialogue. <laughs> the format should be easy here. Short, maybe one page intro featuring your crypt keeper or Japanese said equivalent and tell a couple of scary ghost stories featuring food. Kind of, I guess. But they seem to lose the anthology story idea after an all too lengthy intro. I can't stress that enough. <laughs> to be fair, maybe 28 pages isn't long enough for a book like this. In the end, I wasn't sure how the story was actually set up, nor was I captured by the two short stories. I get it. Bourdain and his buddy Rose, like Japanese culture, wanted to frame their scary stories like a Tales from the Crypt comic. Unfortunately, they don't seem to have enough knowledge of either to make this compelling. Joe... Joe, okay. you know what's the most important part of comic book horror storytelling? Time order! Jesus! Exactly. There was too much setup and not enough scary. Lengthen the issue. Do it right or leave it alone, chef. You certainly wouldn't send a dish out this undercooked. I'm giving Hungry Ghosts a leave it. Uh, man, you were... A lot harder on it than I thought you'd be. It just <laughs> sucked. I'm sorry. Like, it wasn't even, like, terrible. It was more just a waste of time. I mean, I kind of agree. I was not into it at all. And, like, I'm not bothered by the Japanese culture elements. Like, they they have an appreciation for it. This is not the first time that he's written about. Oh, and I'm not saying Japanese culture. This is racism. I'm not, I'm not going that far. I'm just saying it didn't work. But, yeah, I just... I didn't find it scary in the slightest. No. Um, and like just the idea, I don't know if it's that I'm not able to let go of the fact that I'm reading a comic book by Anthony Bourdain, celebrity chef. And so every time there's anything food related, I'm like, there it is. There it is. There it is. Right. Yeah. It's like uh, if Tom Brady wrote a football comic and they're like, yeah, yes. I, and, if only there was something shaped like a football. I could throw at these bank robbers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With Get Jiro, that book was about a uh, what's a sushi chef called? A sushi chef. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that book was about a guy that made food. Like that, it didn't bother me in, in Get Jiro. No, he was the main character. It just worked. I, in in this, it's just it was a distraction. I didn't find it scary. I loved the art. Um, but I don't think it's enough for me to give it a skim it because I will not be back. No. No, it was just a waste of time. And it's like, if you're not good at horror and you're not particularly good at this crazy huge setup, what is the point? 
And some of the dialogue was awful. Terrible. And, yeah. and look, the dialogue in a lot of those old EC books was terrible too, but the formula worked. And all you have to do is go with that formula if that's what you're trying to do. Don't fight it. Right. Like, this is a, this is a sample of dialogue from Hungry Ghost. It looks like a penis, only smaller. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! It's a joke. I get it. Yeah, he's got a tiny dick. Yeah. And then it gets, and then it gets bitten off. Yeah, spoiler alert. Um, yeah, scary. Nothing like genital mutilation. Well, I mean, really. but not just that. Like, sure, that could be perfectly scary. But when you have to rush the story into, like, cramming it into three pages, the first horror story is literally guy gets approached by a beggar and says, oh, I don't have any food for you. And then he gets eaten. Do you understand the lesson? The end. That's not scary. That's yeah, not right. scary. That's not it, even, like, thought-provoking. That's just a one-and-a-half, maybe two-page like, hurry up, we got to cram this in here story, I guess. I don't know. It didn't do shit for me. Same. I'm giving it a leave it. I, I, I wish it was better. The art is good, but I'm not interested in this book. There you go. That is a double buy it for Astro City 50 and a double leave it for Hangry Ghosts number one. There's our main reviews, kids, but as usual, we probably got these comics all wrong. So we'll post these reviews on TwoHeadedNerd.com, and you and Anthony Bourdain can respond in the review section of the THN forums or the THN Facebook fan page. But I'm afraid that's it for any kind of quality comic book discussion. Now it's time for Joe and I to do our best Sonic the Hedgehog impression. We haul ass, looping and ramping and collecting comics as we review eight more during the Ludicrous Speed Run! Ludicrous speed! That's no good. I'm Go! Really I'm really good at it. Star Wars. DJ. Most wanted one shot. <laughs> I just been <laughs> like, wicked, 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 you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Ben's Acker and Blacker bring us a side story featuring a character introduced during the most divisive scene in The Last Jedi. You're in I the don't mix know why we with Ben's it, but... Acker and Blacker. <laughs> <laughs> They're going for some kind of noirish, bad guys double-crossing each other kind of thing. But the story has so many moving parts, and every character has a ridiculous Star Wars name, so I find it almost impossible to follow. Outside of Luke and Leia, pretty much every character does have a ridiculous name, though. It's absolutely true, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> it's just like, and yet another character shows up whose name I cannot remember because it's a, some jumble of... Yeah. Clark Dingledarker, you know, right. like, oh, no. Uh, it's not a must read. The story, though, is elevated by some great art by Kevin, Kev Walker. I don't know why he's credited as Kevin instead of Kev. I'm giving the Star Wars DJ one shot a skim it because it's not bad. I just, eh, whatever. It had really good art. Motherlands number one from DC slash Vertigo. Vertigo is back. And this new size spurrier tale of bounty hunters and reality TV in a future multiverse takes me right back to the Vertigo heydays of the 90s. Spurrier's script is equal parts Gilmore Girls and Transmetropolitan in the story of a female bounty hunter forced to team up with her retired foul-mouthed mother. <laughs> Rachel Stott kills it <laughs> on art here with some truly bizarre character designs. I loved Motherland's number one, and it's nice to have Vertigo back. I'm giving this a buy it. Justice League of America slash Doom Patrol, one shot, DC. Who would have thought that milk would be such an important part of a DC universe? The milk wars are upon us. If you haven't been reading Gerard Way's Doom Patrol, don't worry. 
this is no more confusing than it would be to readers of the regular series. Okay, I would argue that if you have read Cave Carson, you'll have a much better idea of what's going on. The Cave Carson book set this up pretty well. I'll say that. I caught up while I was in Hawaii. Oh, nice. And it was great. Yeah, I caught up when I was in Hawaii. I think co-writer Steve Orlando helps bring the narrative back down to earth a bit, which helped me get a grasp on the dozen different characters and their struggle against the evil Retcon Corporation. This was a ton of bizarre fun with great art by Akko, ACO, Acho, Achu, I don't know. Akko. I'm looking forward to the rest of the Young Animal crossover titles. I did not know what to expect. Doom Patrol breaks my brain every time I look at it. This broke my brain, but in a good way. <laughs> Beautifully drawn. There's a character on the cover that's like a clone of Superman. His name is Milkman Man. Yep, Milkman Man. It's so good. I'm giving it a buy it. Detective Comics Annual, number one from DC. James Tinney in the four rewrites the tragic origin of Clayface with Eddie Barrows and r 2 and wow, do these two nail it. Tinian focuses on the man behind the monster and examines how his father affected the life of the monster that would become Clayface. <laughs> there you go. I love revisiting a villain's origin when it's done well, and these two creators absolutely nailed it. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Great Eddie, annual story. Eddie Barrows was the regular artist on Detective. Has he not been drawing not for a little while, no. Alright. Huh. The Silencer, number one from DC. DC's new Age of Heroes rolls on with a new creation from writer Dan Abnett and artist John Romita Jr. After decades as Leviathan's chief assassin, Honor Guest, put in her time and managed to get out with her skin intact. That's a really bad name. Yeah, it's a very cheesy comic book name. Now she's living a normal life, that is, she was until her old employer and enemies from the past force her back into the game. I thought this was really decent. It's a fun action story with great art by John, love him or hate him, Romita Jr. I love him. The dialogue does get a little bit cheesy, but overall, I really enjoy the silence. Number one, I'm giving it a buy. Star Wars Adventures, Forces of Destiny, Rose and Page from IDW. I just wish I could get that title a little longer. This is my first foray into IDW's all-ages Star Wars title, and I have to say... I loved it. Writer Delilah Dawson spins a story of Rose and her sister Paige on an adventure where one sister helps the other realize how strong and important she really is. It was heartwarming and adorable with great cartoon art that reminded me of Samurai Jack. Read this with your daughter and by all means, buy it. Flash Annual, number one from DC. We have done a lot of DC books this week. We have. Howard Porter and Christian Deuce split our duties between the 25th century and the present day while writer Joshua Williamson reconnects the elder Wally West with an old flame. This is a fine addition to the current Flash run, a decent primer to the upcoming Flash War storyline, which does not start until goddamn May. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, they're building it up, though. But it's not going to be of much interest to curious readers that haven't been following along. And it probably could have been just a regular issue of the monthly Flash title. It did feel a little bit padded out. Oh, yeah. I'm giving it a, a skim it. Skim it for me as well. I wanted this to be the book that made me remember how much I love Wally West. And... I mean, I did really like the Wally West character stuff, but I there's just a lot of it I didn't need. Yeah. Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters, number one from IDW. Stretch Armstrong gets reinvented in the spirit of Ben 10, but without the man of action creative force that made Ben hit. Stretch is reimagined as a high school kid with two super buddies that defend their city when they're not trying to finish their homework. 
<laughs> this was fine, but it felt derivative at best, and I don't see a cartoon coming anytime soon. Give me a skip it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and boom! It's the sound of an exploding underground drill as it attempts to tap into the ancient magic trapped beneath the ziggurat at Mesopotamia. Oh, those jackasses in Mesopotamia. Remember how drunk we got with those guys? Man. <laughs> yes, they know how to party. I love those guys. This was seen in the pages of the JLA Doom Patrol one-shot in a weird backup story that was totally disconnected, and I think it might be a, actually be a preview of one of the new Young Animal titles, but it did not say. Okay. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by me because ziggurats. There you go. If your ziggurat isn't under constant threat and you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, just hit us up on any of our social media platforms or shoot an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Once again, I find myself alone in the Tejan Sanctum Sanctorum, forced to speak to Joe through the iPad of Agamotto. No <laughs> way I'm doing that weird naked astral plane shit again. Joe. Come on, it's natural. Thankfully, the iPad of Agamotto is only showing your face right now. Why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next week? Uh, let me fix that. I'm just going to point this down here. Hey. Hey. Come on. <laughs> I am excited to read Versus number one from Image Comics, written by Ivan Brandon with art by Isad Ribic. And painted color by Nick Klein. I love this team. Love this team. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. War has become a spectator sport. Privately funded armies of superstar soldiers march into battle for fame, profit, and the glory of their sponsor nations. When a new generation of soldiers arrive, top gladiator Sata Flynn is about to discover how fleeting the limelight can be. No dare. So Ivan Brandon and Nick Klein have worked together a number of times. A ton um, of times. Viking, that kind of oversized uh, Viking book from several years back was them. Uh, this is Asad Ribic's first creator-owned work, and he is a stunning artist. And He's I think amazing. That I'm actually curious how this is going to end up looking because he paints his artwork already. Yeah. So if he's just doing like pencils and then Klein's coming in with painted color, that that's going to look gorgeous. Well, I think Nick Klein does a lot of like the really cool background stuff on their comics as well. So my guess is Asad Ribic is going to come in, do his thing, and then Nick Klein's going to go crazy and do his thing over it and behind it. So I bet I mean, this is going to look awesome. Yeah, and honestly, like no no shame on Ivan Brandon, who I do enjoy. Uh, for me, it's the appeal of this art team that's really got me curious. Yeah. What's your pick for next week? I fought with this one, and ultimately, this is where you it came sucker. down. I'm doing it. X-Men right. Red, number one from Marvel. It's written by Tom Taylor with art by Mahmoud Asrar. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. The Hate Machine, part one. The first sensational arc of an all-new team of X-Men starts here. Jean Grey is back. Return to a world she doesn't recognize. The first lady of the X-Men gathers an unlikely team. Nightcrawler, Namor! And Laura Kitty, a.k.a. All-New Wolverine, to face <laughs> an evil that threatens to tear down Xavier's dream by any means necessary. For those of you who are new listeners, whenever they put things in all caps in our solicits, we are forced to scream them because that's what they want us to do. We all know all caps equals screaming. Those are the rules. So here's the thing. 
I recently caught up on all new Wolverine, which Tom Taylor is also writing, and it's really good. The Orphans of X storyline with Dakin was great. And Tom Taylor's a good writer. And Mahmoud Asrar is a great artist. And I love Nightcrawler. And why is Namor on the fucking team? <laughs> like, I, had, I just have to see what's going on. Is it going to be great? I don't know. I want it to. Are the other X-Books great right now? No, they're not. And <laughs> the end of this recent Jean Grey story was awful. Just awful. And, and what... I don't know how they're going to pull this off, or even if they care. They're just going to go, and then young Jean Grey died on her way to her home planet, and old Jean Grey is here. I don't know. <laughs> but, Except she didn't. Young Jean Grey survived. Yes. She's still around. But she is about to get lost in space in the Poison X storyline, so see ya. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, fire the young X-Men into space for all I care. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, I, I'm happy to have the real Jean Grey back, yes. And I also love Nightcrawler. I love X-20. Uh, I love all new Wolverine. Namor being called a mutant and being a part of the X-Men drives me crazy. I'm fine with Namor being called a mutant. I'm fine with that. Saying he's the first mutant, that's fine. I don't need him on my X-Team. But he's not the first mutant. He's not the first mutant. Apocalypse is thousands of years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was the first one we met, you know, back in the Golden he, Age. Apocalypse yes. was laying low. Come on, man. Yeah, he's he's Marvel Comics' first mutant character. Yeah. Only retroactively. I don't need him being an X-Men, though. X-Men. Yeah, I... An X-Merman. Yes. I want it to be good. Tom Taylor's a good writer. He really is. And I support him. I'm hoping this is fun. And I love Azra as an artist. I just think he's so good. Okay. What's, do, do the THN Trade of the Week. That's enough of that. Uh, the, the THN Trade of the Week goes to Challengers of the Unknown by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. It's a hardcover from DC Comics. Written by Jeff Loeb and Tim uh, with art by Tim Sale. It's 248 pages for $29.99. What a deal. Here's the solicit. The eight-issue miniseries that reinvented the Challengers of the Unknown is back in a new hardcover edition. In this tale, the Challengers are ancient history, but a hack reporter is about to find them and shake them out of their situations and force them to become heroes once more. This story was so good. So, uh... This is a series, it's an eight-issue mini from the 90s that I never was able to put together a full run of. Uh, I like, and I would find it in quarter bins, which is not a reflection of its quality. Yeah, I mean, it was and in quarter so, bins because let's be honest, the Challengers of the Unknown are not big names and it's hard to sell that book. They're not a right, exactly. Uh, and so I've, I've never actually read this and I've always wanted to. Also, I believe this is the first collaboration between Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Yes, that would be Which correct. led to uh, the Batman Halloween specials, which led to Batman the Long Halloween. And their marriage. And their long-standing, still-going-today marriage. Yes, happily married. 25 years and going strong. And they're such a cute couple to this day. <laughs> so there's our picks for next week. But we want to know what you're reading. Hit us up, kids. Tell us what we should be reading. What are we missing? What would you like to hear us review? And you know what? I'm going to take it one step further. If you nerds demand it, Joe and I will make one of our reviews the book of your choice every damn week. So let's hear it. Hold on. Make what? us read a bad girl book. Make us read a perverted xenoscope fairy tale. The power no. is yours, nerds. And I'm no. begging you to abuse it. No. Don't just make the reviews a gimmick where we shit on shitty books. No, 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 no. Just one book. You know, they get to pick one. Ugh. This is a bad idea. 
It's been a while, but it's time once again for Matt and I to show you nerds just how comic book smart we are. That's right. It's the heroic return of Ask a Nerd. This time, our question comes from a cover-to-cover stalwart, Mr. Anthony, currently presiding in Brooklyn. Take it away, Tony. Hey, guys. It's uh, Anthony, currently presiding in Brooklyn. Hope you guys are well. I've missed you. Uh, I have a, a kind of a question for you. I have a question for you. Is it better to have characters with dated values but timeless origins or more contemporary characters with outdated origins that need to be fixed at times? Uh, let me explain. So I was reading this article today about how Marvel is rebooting the Fantastic Four timeline uh, dating their space launch in 2001. And I just think it's weird how they need, like, personally, I don't care. Like, I just kind of go with the flow. But, I mean, there's so many of their characters who need to be, who are kind of dated, right? Like, Tony Stark's origins are in the Vietnam War, but then they rebooted to the Gulf War. You know, Magneto is a Holocaust survivor, but is still running around and looking great. I don't know. Uh, I personally don't care, but, like, I guess they feel the need to you know, update them. Whereas in contrast, DC Comics, their characters may have dated values, you know, like Superman, who's super, you know, like truth, justice, and uh, he's for everybody, which unfortunately people think is dated. But his origin is timeless. Batman's origin is timeless. I mean, unfortunately, given the circumstances, Barry Allen is timeless, and, and so on and so forth. So which is better, right? Uh, that's my question. Anyway, uh, I've missed you. I hope you're great. Uh, and uh, I still love the Vikings, even though they completely crapped the bed at the NFC Championship game. But anyway, that doesn't matter. Love you guys. Hope you're well. Bye. Anthony, thank you for your thought-provoking question. And yes, the Vikings did, in fact, shit the bed. <laughs> they were the best team in football. What the hell happened? He brings up some very complex problems with long-running superhero stories. I would argue... The difference between DC heroes like Superman and Wonder Woman and Marvel heroes like the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. It's easy to say, well, yeah, Wonder Woman's been around since World War I or World War II or whatever because she's godlike. She doesn't age. Superman, he doesn't age. He's an alien. You know, he's, he's Superman, whatever. He can be around this whole time. Lois, well, Lois Lane's think, a little more of a problem, however. <laughs> I think what Anthony is saying is that they're not tied to a specific time. No, no, no. And, and I guess that's where I'm going with this. The Fantastic Four are tied to that space race in the 60s that, right. you know, when we were trying to get to the moon and Stan Lee was crazy about it. So he wrote this hero story about them. And now they're going to be in a space launch in 2001. <sighs> we have to keep doing this stuff, unfortunately. Otherwise, the Punisher, for example, is 99 years old. We have right. to say, okay, it's not the Vietnam War. Now it's the Korean War. Okay, it's not the Korean War. Now it's Operation Desert Storm or whatever. The Korean War was before the Vietnam War, but okay. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the, the point being is you almost have to do this unless yeah. they want to. I mean, I mean uh, unless they just don't relaunch the Fantastic Four. I mean, the difference, the difference. like you said, it, it's a difference between the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe in that. When Marvel launched in the 60s, their big push was the idea that these characters exist in the real world. Yes. 
they live on Earth. They live in New York City. They live wherever, like just like you and me. They reference current events. Their origins are tied to events from history. They're ripped from the headlines, just like Law and Order. Right. And that's that's what Marvel was about when they launched. DC is more about iconic type stories. Like, yes, Superman first appeared in 1938, but you can retell that same story in a modern style in 2018, and it's going to feel the same. It's going Absolutely. to ring true. Absolutely. Same with Batman, same with Wonder Woman. And yet you'll you'll have updated tweaks here and there, but DC's characters aren't, by and large, they're not tied to real-world events. I, I don't even think it has anything to do with their iconic values. No. Like, I, there are Marvel characters that have iconic values, too, like Captain America. Sure. Just the idea that DC is rooted in a mythology and Marvel is more rooted in a reality. And... I think if that's the way you're going to go, like you said, you're going to have to do these updates. You have to or kill characters and replace them. Well, that's your other choice. Right. The alternative is to do it in some semblance of real time or at least uh, acknowledge the passage of time. Right. And have characters grow old and retire. Now, relaunching the Fantastic Four and saying that their space flight was in 2001 can be problematic because does this erase a bunch of stuff? Is there like a lot of their continuity going away? Are we going to DC New 52 this and say, no, everything happened in the last five years? You know, I mean, well, Matt, 2001 was 17 years ago. I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, but like they're going to have to do some finessing of this and I think it'll where, work. I think it'll be okay. Where did they announce this Fantastic Four thing he's talking about? It wasn't even a real announcement. I think it was like people kicking around what's going to be going on with it before like uh, they actually even attach people to the story and stuff like that. They're just well, talking about I updating mean, it. Yeah, like the, the origin of the Fantastic Four has not been about Reed wanting to beat the commies into space since the day it was published. No, no. Uh, like, Reed and Ben were World War II veterans. Right. I mean, so at this point, sure, you can just make them NASA guys or whatever, you know, and say, sure. yeah, like, they're uh, working on experimental space travel, and here we go. Right. You and, know? like, for me, for me, it's when they do stuff like when they did uh, the Ultimate Universe, and it was like, nope, he's trying to build a teleporter. Right. Right. And Ben Graham just happens to be there, and so does Johnny. And yeah. I don't need that or, Well, like, Sue, Sue was there because she was in the think tank. But, like, that's going too far. Like, for me, the Fantastic Four has an iconic origin of its own. Like, because when I close my eyes and I think of the origin of the Fantastic Four, I think of four people in spacesuits. Of course. Inside of a space shuttle with that weird, like, tic-tac-shaped radiation. Right. You know, hitting their, hitting the ship. And it sounds like that's what we're going to get. And that's great. You know, that's yeah. great. So, you know. Kick the kick the timeline forward a bit by all means. That's fine. Unfortunately, it is a symptom of comics that we have come to accept because you have to. We can't right. just keep saying, oh, they're getting older and getting older and getting older. You know, you, well, you, you have though, to do this. You have to kick the can down the street a little bit and go, all right, that's where it starts now. <laughs> well, and even even D.C., though, they're or they're not necessarily constrained by historical events. They have the same problem because they keep introducing successors. There's been five Robins and now there's Duke. Right. And I need to know how long this has gone. How how much time has gone by? Yeah. 
So, I mean, I guess what we're saying is we're okay with it. The morals thing, people thinking morals are outdated, that's fan by fan. And I, I don't think it even really counts. I wouldn't want to see Superman violently change his morals or Captain America violently change his yeah. ideals or something. There's just no point to that, you know? It's like right. the and same way I don't want to see, like, badass Spider-Man. They're like, I'm done getting stepped on. I'm going to fucking right. hammer my bad well, guys and flex, you know? You know, for every, like, I am firmly in favor of characters abiding by their dated morality because, to me, that's what makes the character. Superman doesn't kill. Batman hates guns. Yeah. Et cetera. Caps a man and out for of time. Every, right. Caps a man out of time. And like for every time I say that, I get somebody, usually Jared, pointing out to me, oh, well, what about this time when he killed? What about this time when he used the gun? Yes, these stories have occurred. Uh, it doesn't make them good. It doesn't make them right. And each fan has their own decision to make and about keep, this. And they keep walking those back, too. So, And there's right. a reason why. Because and they- every every fan has their own decision to make about that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, for me... it. And just because I want to have a character that's good and pure, that doesn't mean I'm not also okay with other characters that walk a moral gray line. Sure. So, um, but yeah, the timeline thing, you, you just got to let go part of it. Unfortunately. Like you, have to, <laughs> yeah. you have to accept the fact that, uh, that Batman is running around with essentially six grandchildren. <laughs> you just have to accept the fact that you're not going to be able to tell a story about Tony Stark walking in the jungles of Vietnam right. and stepping on a landmine. Such is the nature of comics. Yeah. That was a really good question. Now, like, I don't think it has a definitive answer, Like you, uh, but I really appreciate Anthony submitting it. If you have a question for Ask a Nerd, you can do what Anthony did and call the THN voicemail line at 402 402- 819-4894. Send an MP3 to our email address, to at a nerd at gmail.com, or post it on the forums. There's an Ask a Nerd section, and we'll get to it. We'll, we'll use it as a segment on the show. Be internet famous, just like Anthony. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> and that is it for THN 475. But before we get out of here, Joey Patrick, I need you to set up the new question of the week. This week's question comes from Stephen Kohler on the THN Facebook fan page. Stephen writes, I remember an episode a couple of months ago where people were complaining about Batman and Catwoman calling each other Cat and Bat. I personally enjoy that, but it got me thinking, what are your current comic book pet peeves? Here's Steven's example, because he's probably not going to call it. It annoys the heck out of Steven that Thor is now a title that gets passed around. It's a dude's name, but now it's given out to everyone with a hammer. There's the War Thor, there's Jane Foster's Thor. Meanwhile, Thor's got to go by Odin's son because it's confusing. He was known as Thor long before he had the hammer. And I don't think his parents were like, let's name him Thor. Because he's going to wield a magic hammer one day. (laughs) So what Steven is talking about is not industry ills. He's talking about little things that bug you about comics. So there's your question. Hit us up, 402-819-4894. Cover to cover next week. You can talk about this or you can leave us a message if you don't have time to call in there. But most importantly, kids, THN is a listener-supported podcast. And we want to thank everyone that puts up 
with our procrastinating on making t-shirts by supporting this show on PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds, we can't afford the hefty data fees for the iPad of Adamoto. Oh, yeah. You, and you think 4G is expensive. Holy Woo. shits. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to friend of the show, ink and water artist and loyal listener Jim Kettner, who turned the big 4-0 this week. Where do you, cat nerd? I'm right behind you. Until next time, true believers, remember to order your comics or your retailer might just dump ink and water all over your profile. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. So that would be a real dick move. <laughs>